Welcome to the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast, covering agriculture and all things related in East Carroll, Madison, Tinsall, Concordia, and Catahoula Parishes. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of the Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast. We're glad you're listening to us again. Um, Today I am joined with Dennis Burns, uh, Mr. Ariel Frazier, and Dr. Michael Deliberto, how's everyone doing today? We're doing good, Kyle. Doing fine, Kylie. Good. Um, yeah, well, let's let's talk about that. What's going on in everyone's parishes? Uh, Mr. Ariel, you want to start? Yeah, I'll be glad to, Kylie. Uh, rain, we need a rain. We're catching a little one-tenth inch range here and there, and they're spotty. Um, you know, kind of like the old weather patterns when you had an 80% chance of rain. Don't count on it, but if you got down to 20 and 30, you might get a rain. Uh, that's kind of where we're at. We're, we had 80% all week. We've not got anything. Polypipe is being rolled out. Folks calling uh, last week about a uh, pipe planter and asking, did I have soil moisture sensors out there? They, they don't want to know. And so we're trying to get all that lined up and get those out this week. Going to start in the morning putting those out. Uh, Corn starting to tassel in both East Carroll and Madison, some of the earlier corn. Uh, everything I've seen looks really, really good finally. Everything is really coming on. Uh, but we, we we need we need some water baths. We're, yes. we're the point on this tasseling corn that we need a rain or we're going to have to start watering. Yeah, I would say that's the same thing going on here. Uh, corn's tasseling. Everything looks good. Everything started. Everything's planted. Um, but yeah, we need a rain or we're about to have to turn some irrigation on soon. Um, yeah, that's, that's the same you're saying, Dennis? Yeah, we're, uh, everybody's got pipe on corn's tasseling. Most of the poly pipe is out. They're, they were expecting, they were gambling on the 80 to 90% chance of rain. And I would <laughs> surprise by the next day or so, you're going to see, you're going to see water flowing, uh, in some areas, um, on an interesting note, I was in out in the west side of Tinsall this morning. We got a bunch of um, rice out there, row rice, and we got everything from just finishing planting to probably six, eight inches tall. Looks really good. Um, the, I'll tweet a picture. Uh, they planted flat. Some of it was planted flat, and they took one of those rollers that have the angle iron cleats on them. To make a groove like a groover and it really looks nice they have watered that and it looked like it watered really good um, mm-hmm. and they rolled it after they planted it so uh i'll i'll try and tweet i took a picture of it this morning i just hadn't got it tweeted yet so um yeah. try and get that out today but uh all the cotton's planted i think it's pretty much all up uh you and i planted i think what was the last some of the last cotton in concordia whatever day that Wednesday or Thursday or last week. So I think that was, that's probably some of the last. So everything's, everything's looking good. Except seat water. Yeah. I've seen two planters go by the office here a while ago. And I talked to a guy about putting in sensors for in the morning and he was hitting the plant 40 acres behind the river. I mean, behind the levee that's finally dry enough to get on. Uh, so Pretty much planning is done other than whatever they're going to try to recover behind the levee. And then we lost, Dennis, you and I talked about it this morning. Mm-hmm. Close to the same amount of land lost to seat water this year as was last year. 
Yeah. I lost my cotton demo again this year because of it didn't get it in. It's uh it's pretty bad. Pretty pretty sad. And the deer and as a side, you know, and I'll throw this out. We won't I'm not we're not taking up your time, Michael. We're just chasing rabbits here. But as a side note, and Kylie can contest to this, deer pressure from the deer across the levee coming over and they're not going back. Well, there's no water. They can't, they can't go back, but they're coming over and they're taking up residence and they're hammering crops. Oh, yeah. Especially they're wiping them out. Yep. I've signed off on a couple of those already and know there's several more out there that have been applied for and received permission. Yep. To that's uh scout some beer it's it's bad yeah that's what uh that's why i've signed off on some of them for those uh permits and uh it's bad uh so anyway kylie you want to go ahead and introduce our dr delaberto and let's, let's learn how to make money selling our crops he's gonna tell us how to make we're gonna get dollar cotton i know he is <laughs> Make it happen for us, Michael. <laughs> yeah. No pressure. Yeah. No pressure, huh? <laughs> yeah, let's 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 start off with the new um I guess CFAT payment. I'm is that I guess coronavirus food uh assistant program. Um why don't you That's start right. talking about that? Let's into that. Okay, thanks, Kylie. Uh thank y'all for having me today. Um yeah, the news of the week so far, the news of last week rather. Uh, was USDA finally released details of really this much anticipated program. Um, now the origins of this program really go back to April uh, 17th when the USDA announced a $19 billion legislative package that consisted of direct payments to agricultural producers for actual losses of commodities in addition to government purchases of certain commodities for donations of food banks and other feeding programs that was really brought on by this coronavirus pandemic and the effect that it had on the commodity market. Um, the This program is funded by two different sources. And I think that's where some of the confusion gets in and where really this thing's like an onion. You kind of got to peel it back layer by layer like any uh, government program is. It's going to get funding from that CARES Act, but it's also going to use funds from the Commodity Credit Corporation or the CCC Charter Act. And this was the fund that that the MFP payments came out of um, over the past couple of years. So um, nevertheless, there's about $16 billion that are going to be uh, that are, are going to be eligible to go out to eligible producers for commodities, livestock and dairy that suffered. Uh, a 5% price decline between January and April. And that determination of a single payment rate is going to be based on the price loss that occurred between January 1st and April 15th of this year. And then 85% of the price lost uh, during the period is going to be covered um, from April 15th onward for the next two quarters. So I think what USDA or the methodology that they tried to use there was to design a direct payment program uh, two eligible producers from two different funding sources that was going to combat this price decline that was really suffered um, from everything from barley producers to wheat producers to cotton, corn, sorghum, and especially the livestock and dairy producers um, with this coronavirus pandemic. Um, I'll talk about the non-specialty crops because, uh, well, let me back up first, I guess. There are four really broad-based commodity groups that this CFAP program targets, and that's going to be uh, what USDA identifies as non-specialty crops, and that's going to be what we think of as our traditional row crops, uh, upland cotton, corn, soybeans, 
Uh, it's also going to provide direct payments to livestock producers, dairy producers, and specialty crops, which you know is everything from peaches to watermelons there. Uh, I'll talk about the um, non-specialty crops or the row crops first. Um, producers are going to be, be paid a flat payment rate based on um, the inventory that was subject to price risk as of January 15th, 2020. A CFAT payment is going to be made based on 50% of the producer's 2019 total production or the 2019 inventory that was on hand as of January 15th, whichever number is smaller. So it's going to be an either or, whichever number is smaller. Um, and that number is going to be multiplied by the commodity uh, payment rate there. So um, what they're going to do is uh, just a, a real quick example. Um, and I have this on my computer and I know we can't see that through the magic of a, uh, of a podcast, but like any good economist, uh, when in doubt, always have a spreadsheet. So uh, I'm going to pull <laughs> that up and just uh, go through a really uh, quick example. Uh, let's just uh, talk about corn. Uh, there are two different payment rates for corn. When you go through the uh, press release or if you see the staff report that I put out uh, late last week um, that I sent out to all the agents and regional directors, you're going to see a CARES payment rate and a CCC payment rate. And the, the CFAT payment is going to be a singular payment, but the pot of money is coming from the CARES Act and the CCC Charter Act. So each one of those is going to carry a different payment rate but it's going to be one check to the producer. So um, let's see, uh, let's suppose that a producer's got about 90,000 bushels um, of corn production that he had in 2019. But the inventory that he had on hand uh, was only uh, 40,000 bushels as of January 15th. And let's assume that that was in a grain bin that was not, uh, you know, uh, locked in with a futures contract yet. Price was not established for that commodity. So that therefore that commodity was subject to price risk. So 98,000 bushels from the previous year, you got 40,000 bushels in storage. They're going to give you the smaller of that number there. So that's why you see um, it's either 50% of the eligible production that he had of 40,000 becomes 20,000 now. And then we're going to multiply that by the CARES Act and the CCC payment rate uh, to get uh, the total program payment going out to the producer. And if that sounds complicated or that sounds like a bunch of math, USDA and the FSA, if you go to the uh, farmers.gov uh, slash CFAP, uh, that is a uh, website uh, run by USDA. They actually have a downloadable Excel spreadsheet. Uh, you enter your farm information in there. They have drop down menus from all the commodities, and that's going to let a producer uh, estimate and self certify their production, their inventory, and what their CFAT payment is going to be made. Uh, so I would highly encourage producers to check out that website, go to that form. Uh, their production, their inventory levels, that is going to be a self-certification process with USDA. Um, now, we've been told that that information that's entered will be subject to a spot check um, if the county committee uh, deems one necessary. Uh, but all the information from what we've read in the final rule that this inventory production levels are going to be self-certified. Um, right. When we get uh, into livestock production, the, the mechanics of the program are a little bit different because uh, for livestock, um, the total payment is going to be calculated using the sum of the producer's 
livestock that was sold between January 15th and April 15th times a per head payment rate. Now, if, or uh, if a producer just didn't sell livestock between that January 15th and April 15th period, then he wouldn't get a CARES payment. But if but the highest inventory num number between April 16th and May 14th, then that would be eligible for a CCC payment rate of about $33 per head. So livestock is treated a little differently than the row crops are, um, but it's going to be made um, based on the total number of livestock sold between the 15th uh, of January and the 15th of April, multiplied by a per head payment rate and the highest number in inventory between April 16th and May 14th multiplied by a per head payment rate uh, also. So details of that are on the USDA website. They're in um, that staff report that I sent out to all the agents uh, for specialty crops. And I know that uh, is going to affect uh, specialty crop producers, especially in the far Florida parishes, as well as the central part of the state, southeastern Louisiana, and also in the northeast. Specialty crops are going to be on three different payment rate schedules. Um, they're calling them, I guess, three categories, if you will. Category one is going to be for crops sold between the 15th of January and April 15th that experienced a 5% price decline. Category two was for specialty crops harvested and shipped, but subsequently spoiled um, because the loss of the marketing channel wasn't there. So a pay, uh, producer maybe shipped it, but never got payment for it. Uh, that would be category two. Category three um, would be for crops that simply didn't leave the field and basically spoiled, rotted, were plowed under uh, for there. So uh, USDA has got information on those payment rates from everything from almonds, apples, watermelon, spinach, strawberries, uh, and really the whole gambit of specialty crops. There's quite an extensive list uh, published by USDA on that farmers.gov slash CFAP website. Um, or if any, uh, yes, sir, go ahead. Did you and I, I didn't pay attention your thing you sent out the other day. Does it have that website with those spreadsheets they can go look for? Uh, it does. It was does. It, in, I, it was in your thing you sent? Okay. Uh, it was in the email that I sent, and I believe I referenced it uh, on page six of the report. Uh, okay. Beginning uh, May 26th, producers can sign up at farmers.gov slash CFAP. Uh, that's in there on page six of the document I sent out, uh, as well as the list of forms that producers may have to reference. But if that information, such as a farm plan, uh, your AGI statements, uh, certificate of income, et cetera, uh, all those forms, if you have that on file with uh, FSA, it's going to make the process a lot uh, smoother, a lot faster. Um, but I also want to note that the payment limit is $250,000 per entity for this program and participation in crop insurance or PLC. Uh, there's going to be no cross compliance here. So uh, this is going to be its own pot of money right here. This is not going to infringe on any kind of ARC PLC payments uh, for the 2019 crop year. I have gotten that question um, over the past couple of days. This is an independent program separate from ARC PLC. Okay. So did we okay, get to well, did my cotton get to a dollar yet? Uh it didn't. If uh I think if we can break sixty cents on that, uh we'll be looking good and hopefully be on the path to higher prices after after we get through uh sixty cents. But um, you know, big news of the market today kind of shifting gears a little bit. Um really the policy news coming out of Washington. It, 
it dominated the headlines last week uh, with was there going to be a payment limit increase? What was the methodology that USDA used? I think it had a really a lot more questions and answers. Uh, we've seen a little bit more details on the rollout yet. Um, but when we get back to the market, I think what's happening in the market this week, you know, trade continues to focus on China. It's China, China, China. It seems like every month we talk about what the markets are doing, export sales, old crop versus new crop sales. Uh, weather in China this time of year are going to be at the forefront. Um, you know, grain markets were higher on some trade-off optimism early on in the week. We did see a weakening of the U.S. dollar. Uh, some sharp coverings in the corn and soybean markets uh, was positive. Um, but I think the gains were capped because of these concerns about the trade tensions between U.S. and China. Um, we did see larger global supplies, carryouts projected to be higher for a lot of these crops uh, for the 2021 marketing year. And I think weather is going to be something that really the trade focuses on now. Uh, the planning's report that came out Tuesday, uh, I think a lot of that news was already priced in on the market. That's why you really didn't see a big jump there. Uh, nationally, corn progress was corn plantings at 88% complete. Uh, the market expected it to be a little bit higher. They were thinking maybe upwards of 90% of corn would get planted, um, but it's still 5% above its five-year average of 82%. Uh, soybean plantings are at 65% complete. Uh, that's about 10 points ahead of its five-year average. Uh, cotton is 53% completed planting in the U.S., and that's right in line with historical standards right there. Um, other news, uh, export sales, um, you know, I think China is enjoying a cheap soybean crop from South America and a plentiful soybean crop that's coming out of South America, mainly Brazil. They've been our biggest competitor for a couple of years now, uh, and it looks like they have no signs of, uh, of ceasing or stopping. Um, you know, when you look at customs data, uh, soybean imports from Brazil rose about 3% in April. Um, you know, April soybean shipments from Brazil tripled uh, the, their March shipments out of uh, I'm sorry, after rains really exacerbated some Chinese demand shortages there. Um, China is expected to remain a steady buyer of South American soybeans, at least through July. Uh, meanwhile, the U.S. market, are, from a soybean perspective, uh, we're just struggling to offer competitively priced soybeans right now. Um, April soybean shipments from the U.S. did total almost 25 million bushels. Uh, Chinese demand for U.S. soybeans last month was down from the previous year. And when and when we say down, we're talking down almost 60% from the previous year from where we were. So Chinese uh, export or imports or U.S. exports to China for soybeans, uh, that's really going to help the balance sheet. It's going to help consumption a lot there um, with getting some of those manageable supplies down a little bit. Um, but, you know, I, I think it's interesting when uh, you kind of dive into the policy aspects of international trade, when you kind of get beyond the supply and demand balance and you start to look at currency values and what makes a commodity maybe more appealing to a buyer, say the U.S. Um, versus Brazil. What does our currency look like compared to China? Uh, but a lot of it, a lot of it has been written the past couple of days when you think of China's currency with their yuan, uh, the reference rate is supposed to be the weakest in 12 years. And I think that's a signal that China sees uh, the benefits of a weak currency because it's grappling with its own economic slowdown with the coronavirus, too. Uh, you combine that or you piggyback that with uh, – 
the trade tensions, if you will, the political rhetoric, the back and forth that's going on right now. Uh, and that's something to be concerned about. Remember last year, um, you know, uh, President Trump did uh, accuse Beijing of some currency manipulation. So that would be something to watch there from a macro um, perspective. Uh, we've seen Brazil's currency weaken with the real that certainly affects soybean exports there. Um, but keeping with the trade talk, um, you know, the phase one agreement, you know, the good news is China's increasing its purchases of U.S. ad products. And um, even though I think with this political rhetoric, the back and forth, uh, this coronavirus pandemic there, um, you know, China's buying, they're buying corn, they're buying wheat, they're buying soybeans, they've been buying U.S. cotton. Um, but I think we, we're going to need to see those purchases ramp up a little bit uh, if we want to see China come close to hitting those targets that they made under those phase one deals. And it's those trade deals or those trade targets under phase one were set on dollar amounts. So when you have a cheaper priced commodity, you're going to have to move more of that commodity from a volume standpoint to get that dollar um, you know, trade commitments there. So I think that's something to keep in mind. Um, you know, the first three months of the year, China only purchased about three and a half billion dollars uh, of of, uh, of pro uh, exports from us. Um, you know, exports to China were down um, ever since the trade war picked up. So I think that's that's something to watch right there. Um, but I think China's soybean demand, it does look strong. Um, they have been sourcing to Brazil, which has been a negative for us right now. But because Brazil's got a crop, they have to sell it. And the biggest buyer on the block is China and the seasonality of the crops. They're just buying from Brazil right now. Uh, so I think um, hopefully China will switch over. Uh, our soybeans can be competitive, competitively priced, I think, in the future. Um, so we'll see what happens with export sales. USDA is fairly aggressive on what they call a return to normal in these trade patterns between the U.S. and China. They see U.S. exports for soybeans increasing next year. They see China buying more soybeans uh, from the USDA next year uh, or from the U.S. next year. Excuse me. So I think that certainly bodes well for the soybean balance sheet, especially when we look at ending stocks, stocks to use ratio prices. Um, but I think a lot of that is going to be. You know, where where do we go from here in terms of what that soybean supply and demand balance sheet looks like? And right now for new crop projections, they've got soybeans at eight dollars and twenty cents for a seasonal average average farm price. And futures right now, you know, they're in that low eight dollar range, eight dollar, eight dollar twenty five cent range right there. Um, I don't think you're going to see a big shift uh, out of corn acres into soybeans in the Midwest. Uh, I think USDA is high on their uh, 97 million acres of corn this year. Um, I think you will see some prevented plantings uh, in the Dakotas. Um, you know, is that number going to be a million acres off the corn balance sheet? I, I think it could. It's certainly got the potential to be that high. I was listening to somebody from um, the Midwest, which I know, you know, in economics, listening to somebody on the Internet doesn't mean it's going to be a fact, but it's kind of like a, a whole lot kind of or a little bit. It does carry a little bit of weight, um, you know, with prevented plantings. And I think as those crop insurance prevent planting dates near uh, those acreage numbers are going to come into question. Also, those trend line yields that USDA had. Keep in mind, May was the first month. Uh, of the year that USDA makes its 2021 projections official. And they use those projected plantings report uh, that they got in March. They use 10 year uh, trend line yields. Uh, so I think traders are going to watch the weather. 
and, and see, okay, are we going to, where's that crop rated? Is it good to excellent, fair to good? Where are we at right now? So are we going to hit 178 and a half bushel corn yield on 97 million acres of corn in the U.S. to give us a production of 16 billion bushels plus, which would be near record or at record. So I think that's going to have some influence on where the corn market goes. Um, the big elephant in the room right now is the ethanol demand. With the stay-at-home orders, this partial reopening, as more states go to this phase one or this tier one approach, we need that ethanol demand to come back. People need to travel more. They need to get out on the roads. Uh, you look at airfare travel, uh, all that stuff. As the economy reopens, as more people start to get out, that ethanol demand is going to recover a little bit. Uh, you know, it's good for the consumer when we see, you know, $1.55 gas at the pump, but frankly, those ethanol plants are closing, shutting down, cutting back on capacity. That's got influence uh, or impact to the corn balance sheet. And, you know, USDA does forecast a recovery in ethanol uh, for new crop corn. Uh, however, I think the million-dollar question is how fast are we going to see that recovery? It's not going to be overnight. It's going to take some time. But there's a little bit of debate in the industry now. Did USDA maybe get too optimistic with our ethanol use for new crop corn? Uh, I think they're looking at historical standards and trend usage there. But the alarming part of the corn balance sheet is where our ending stocks are. Um, you know, when you put corn ending stocks at, um, you know, close to three and a half, um, and I want to get my number right here for corn, 3.3 billion bushels of corn. That's a lot of corn sitting on the market, and it's going to be really hard for prices really to go up past, say, even 320, 325 uh, on the boards because it's simply going to be, you know, as, as stocks to use, ratio goes higher as ending stocks go higher that's going to suppress prices and with that much corn it's going to be harder for prices to climb but it's interesting when you start adjusting acreage and you start adjusting trend line yields um, if you start to say well okay if 500,000 acres or 700,000 acres of corn don't get planted um, if that trend line yield isn't 178 bushels what if it's 172 bushels per acre for the U.S. A five bushel decline on 750,000 less acres of corn, it can have impact on the balance sheet enough to maybe get those prices upwards of that 330 to 340 range. So I think those things are going to be something traders are going to watch. Um, you know, the corn exports, China bought corn over the past couple of months. They haven't done that a lot in the past. Uh, our exports right now. Can we regain market share uh, in Asia, South America? We face competition from Brazil, Ukraine, the Black Sea region. Um, I think we can return uh, to the corn export market right now. But the biggest thing is going to be the ethanol sector recovery, recovery in the livestock sector, because um, animals and ethanol need corn just as much as uh, humans do or people do, I guess. Uh, so that's going to be something to watch there when we talk about consumption going forward. Um, for soybeans, I think now it's where does demand go for soybeans. Uh, right now, soybean demand uncertainty, export projections, I think you can make the argument is the glass half full or half empty on soybean export expectations. Uh, but we're going to be sitting on about a 4.3 billion bushel soybean crop uh, this year. Um, USDA has got acreage at about 83.5 million uh, planted acres now. They're using a trend line yield of 49.8 bushels, which would be almost two bushels plus more than we had last year. Um, you know, they are seeing a recovery in exports. I think what they call a return to normal trade patterns would help. Um, but I think um, 
we need to recoup some of the market share we've lost in China. I think we need to make inroads there. Uh, there's a limit to how much market share we can make up in the European Union, uh, other Southeast Asian countries like Indonesia, Vietnam, uh, even soybean exports into Mexico to a lesser extent. China was by far our largest player that we had two year, two to three years ago in the market. That's what's going to really help our uh, our uh, our exports move. Uh, you know, the rebuilding of China's hog inventory uh, from, from from African swine fever is certainly going to help. Uh, their import uh, need. Uh, I think we can meet that demand now. But again, uh, it's going to be what do exports do in the future moving forward? And uh, what's that going to look like from a pricing perspective as we talk about where soybean prices uh, are going to go? Cotton right now, um, you know, cotton prices, when you look at the July contracts uh, on the nearbys, they're still in that 55 to 60 cent area, if you will, sideways trading. I think 60 cents is going to be that first initial level of resistance that that really we need to break through. Um, But price is really hindered by uh, the supply and use estimates, mainly uncertain use and increased stocks due to lower demand. Uh, COVID-19, cotton's a semi-durable product. You look at macro uh, economic indicators like GDP growth, what people are buying in the stores, retail apparel consumption, things like that. When people buy less, those areas are hurt. And I think that's why you see a reduction in the cotton demand now, especially coming out of China and those Asian countries there. Um but we're going to have increased stocks going into the 2020 marketing year, and prices for cotton in 2020 are going to depend on a lot of different factors, including U.S. and global demand recovery. How fast is it going to rebound? What are our export sales look like? China's been buying cotton. Um, you know, will we will we hit our target? I think that's the pace of sales is going to definitely need to pick up. Um, but our shipment's going to be sufficient enough so we can hit that 15 million bale projection. Uh, if we don't, that's simply going to be a uh, carryover that we're going to have to increase on our balance sheet. Um, you know, USDA reduced world demand in recent months due to COVID-19. I've talked a lot about that in my monthly market reports. Um, but acreage and production for 2019 are currently projected to really not be that much different from where we saw in 19. Uh, ending stocks, carryover, um, you know, you're looking at ending stocks north of 7 million bales uh, for last year. Uh, and this in this marketing year, and that's why you see prices between 59 and 57 cents a pound uh, season average farm price that USDA has in the WASD. So, um, you know, the recessionary impact, uh, sheltering in place by consumers. Uh, you know, I thought it was interesting. I was reading the other day that um, disruptions in the retail sector uh, saw almost an 80 percent month over month drop in U.S. retail apparel store sales in the month of April. Uh, Farm Bureau, I think, put that out when they looked at April 2020 compared to February 2020 before all this COVID. Uh, and that was about a two point three billion dollar decline in in-store clothing sales. And that's something that, you know, the, uh, the cotton market relies on. Um, but I think when the July contract goes off the board, Focus is going to be on the December 2020 contract, uh, and that's where the bearish fundamentals are going to be really hard to overcome. I think outside of a crop failure, uh, there's going to be more cotton supply than really we have the demand to meet it. And I think um, you know that 2020 resting at low at the low to mid 50s 
you know, you're going to producers are going to have to start thinking about, you know, the LDP. What are my CCOT and PLC payments going to look like uh, from a cash flow perspective going forward? So um, I think the cotton situation now was really kind of characterized by a lot of uncertain uh, demand use. Uh, with these mills and with how fast we can get a recovery in the global economy uh, and also uh, in the U.S. economy. Um, rice has been a commodity, uh, unlike uh, the other grains and cotton, we've actually seen increases in futures prices for rice. Um, the Farm Bureau put out a graph, I thought it was interesting, when you uh, look at the July to May futures performance for rice, it's almost 20% higher uh, as opposed to some commodities being 15 to 20% lower. Uh, rice, wheat to a lesser extent, they're staple commodities. Um, you know, food shortages, if you want to say it was panic buying, of buying rice off the grocery store shelves for these stay-at-home orders, uh, you know, that definitely helped the rice uh, rice uh, consumption number move off. But really, what's going on in the rice market right now was really uh, – I'm sorry, go ahead. I hate to interrupt you, but we're about out of time on our allotment, so. I got you. Okay, well, I'm sorry on that. I just kind of went, went off the deep end on cotton. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, we have a, a lot of time for the recording, so it cuts off. So if you need to wrap up something real quick. Okay, I'd say, uh, I'd say really with rice right now uh, in the rice market, uh, nearby futures are supported by tight supplies and ongoing concerns about food security, uh, and that's driven in part by the economic crisis reaching, uh, you know, Mexico, Brazil in terms of the COVID-19 panic buying maybe going on down there. But the new crop dynamics in rice are completely different. Um, you're seeing a lot of sideways trading in that September contract between 1186 100 weight, 1197 100 weight right there. Um, so I think that's where that new crop futures is going to be kind of stuck at for a little while now uh, until we get a handle on the weather related and the planning progress that comes out of Arkansas uh, for new crop rice. Okay, very good. Kylie, anything else? Um, the only thing I want to close with is some events that we have coming up. Um, well, they're both virtual. One of them is the um, Kim Pope is going to be doing another um, private pesticide course. Um, it's going to be an online course. I think it's, she said it's going to take, let's see, four hours to complete. Um, that's going to go down on July 9th and 10th. There's going to be two different showings of that. Uh, it's from 9 to 11. Uh, if y'all need information to register for that, reach out to one of us. It's going to be $45 to do that. Um, and that's to help you pass the private applicator test. Um, and the only other thing is the virtual field day for rice. Um, I'm not sure when that's going to be put out. Y'all may know the end of June sometime. Dennis, Ariel, anybody? It's going to be, I haven't seen a definite date yet. I haven't either. I haven't seen The last week in June, I'm my understanding. I don't, but I haven't seen a definite date either. Right. Okay. Well, whenever we get a definite date on that, we'll share that with y'all and hope that y'all can tune in for that. Um, other than that, that's the only events that I have. Um, if anybody else has anything, um, I'm ready to close. We're, um, I think I'm good. There's, you know, virtual 4-H is, 4-H is still working virtual meetings since they can't meet with the kids. But other than that, I mean, we're, we're still, we're still here. We're just operating a little differently. That's right. <laughs> Well, thank you, Michael. We really appreciate you being here. And oh, thank you all.
Thank all the bad times <laughs> that you sometimes are <laughs> with us. Next time we talk, I want to hear some good stuff. Like Dennis said, where's that dollar cotton? Um, but uh, we appreciate your time, and thank you so much for being a part of our podcast, and you're welcome to come back in any time. Well, thank um, you all so thank much. All right. all right. Well, stay safe down there, everybody, and uh, thank you all for listening, and tune in next week, and we'll hope to bring you a new and different episode. The Louisiana Delta Crop Podcast is produced by the LSU Ag Center Extension Service. For more information, visit the LSUAgCenter.com or contact your local extension office.